for those of you who have been participating, I've been hearing a lot of great stories from our Pay It Forward campaign. Uh, last year, this didn't come from this year, but last year I got a note after our Pay It Forward campaign. We got a note here at Christ Church from a young woman who had received a gift card on her windshield. And it was, I think it was at the Subway restaurant. And she sent us a note saying, I don't know who did this for me, but you need to know that I was about ready to give up on everything. And I didn't have any money for me and my kids for lunch that day. And I'd been just deciding that God had forgotten all about me. And I went out to my car, and the, and the card was there, and a gift was there. And she was able to buy lunch for her kids. And she wanted you to know that not only did it provide lunch, it provided hope. And, a rea and, a, and the realization that God had not forgotten about her. So you never know uh, who is needing touch and love and hope and peace. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about the Prince of Peace. We've been in a message series called Chris Moss, More of Jesus. We need more of Christ in our lives. And this morning, I want to, the title of the message is Prince of Peace. So take your handout that you were given this morning, follow along in your outline, and grab your Bibles or whatever you're reading Scripture on. And while you're doing that, let me set up the passage of Scripture I want to read from Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is a passage of Scripture that often gets read at this time of year as we talk about and celebrate the birth of Jesus, who came to be our rescuer. Um, the, the writer of Luke, Luke is writing and telling us everything he can possibly tell us about who Jesus is. He says, you know, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. Mary, it came time for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth to the baby, laid him in a manger in swaddling clothes, and then the angels announced the arrival of Jesus to the shepherds in the, in the, in the fields outside of Bethlehem. Chap, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, reads this, But the angel said to them, he's talking to the shepherds now in the field, Don't be afraid, which I think is funny. I think these guys would have been terrified, wouldn't you, uh, in the middle of the night? But don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there will be born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is Please, this is one of those places we read about in God's word where heaven touches earth, isn't it? The angels come, make this announcement, and they're still singing praise to God in the highest. But because of who God is and he wants to be with his people, we can, be, we can experience his presence and his peace with us. Our Father in heaven has gone to great lengths and personal expense and effort to give us his peace. Anybody here need a little peace in your life? A few of you? Um, peace in your neighborhood, peace in your job, peace in your finances, peace in your marriage, in your family, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Anybody here ever deal with anxiety or fear or worry or stress or doubt or chaos or strife or sickness or disbelief? Or, or maybe, maybe you're just here and say, well, everything's good with me, but I have a friend. 
who needs a little peace, right? Another passage that we often read about this time of year is the prophecy of Jesus, read, uh, recorded in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 9. I'll read it in a second. Isaiah 9 is prophesying about the coming of Jesus 400 years prior to when Jesus shows up. I want to unpack this passage of Scripture a little bit for you so that you'll know what he's talking about when he talks about why we need Jesus to come, why we need a Savior. Isaiah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Why are people walking in darkness? Because the light of the world has not yet come. Jesus is the light of the world, and it's a spiritually dark place. So much more dark than we could understand. Because we've never experienced a world without Jesus in it. We've experienced life without Jesus in our lives. We've never experienced a world that wasn't influenced by Jesus. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. It's talking about when you win a war, you divide the spoil that's left over. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. This heavy burden of, of doubt and fear and darkness, the light of the world, the Savior is going to break that, eliminate, remove the heaviness off of your shoulders. And now he talks about something that may seem a little strange unless I explain it. He goes on to say, You'll remove the, the, the burden and the staff off their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult and a cloak rolled, with, rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. What in the world is that all about in the middle of a prophecy about Jesus? Right? What he's talking about is when the people of God, the Israelites, were traveling to the promised land, they encountered lots of other people groups, lots of other tribes. They encountered the Midianites there. They encountered the Moabites, the Ammon, Ammonites, and other Ite brothers. They, but this, we're going to talk about the Midianites right now. When they encountered the Midianites, they began to interact with them, and the Midianites were worshipers of Baal, Baal, Satan. Their lead prophet was named Balaam. He's named after Satan. He's a Satan worshiper. He's the lead Satan worshiper among the Midianites. And they're having problems because the Israelites are beginning to be influenced by them. Finally, Moses has had enough. And he says, I want, I want all the Midianites to be eliminated. We've got to get rid of this evil among us. And that's what happened, the battle of Midian. The enemy was eliminated and the oppression and the difficulty and the, and the angst and the fear and the anxiety and the temptation was taken out of their lives. What he's saying is, that's what Jesus is going to do for you. And he goes on to say, now, he says, all of that's going to happen. Why? Verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government. If you have your Bible's new highlight or underline or circle something, circle the term government. I want to talk about that and how significant this is in our lives. The government will rest on his shoulders. It's talking about the kingdom of God, God's government. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to be our helper. 
Mighty God, he's going to be powerful. Eternal Father, he's going to last forever. And Prince of Peace, that's who he is. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He is coming to establish his government rule and reign, and he's going to come to be in the line of David. He's going to come to be the shepherd. We're going to talk about that. That's the whole point of this message this morning. I want you to walk out of here with a new revelation, a new understanding of who Jesus is and why it was so important that he comes. God is with us. God is with us because of Jesus, and God is for us. Would you say that with me? God is with us, and God is for us. God's with us because he wants to be with us. You know, in the beginning, God was with Adam and Eve. When he created the world, he was with Adam and Eve. He walked with them. He talked with them in the garden. He spent time with them. And then you get to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve align themselves with the leader of the mutiny. They align themselves with the serpent, Satan. So ironic that Satan calls God the liar when he's actually the one who's lying. He's the father of lies, Jesus says in John chapter 8. And he calls, Satan is saying that God is lying to you. You can't trust God and Adam and Eve align themselves with Satan. And just like what happened to Satan, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like stars God removed him from heaven. And in the same way, God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden when they aligned themselves with the leader of the mutiny against God. That's what happens. That's the consequence of sin. That's the consequence of mutiny. Sin is no small rebellion. Sin is mutiny. Sin is wanting to be ruler and reign of your own life, wanting to be your own king or your own queen. That's what mutiny is. Consequences of mutiny are severe. It always leads to the opposite of who God is and the opposite of where God is. Let me give you a few examples. God is truth. We all agree with that? God is truth. So mutiny always leads to lies. God is love. Mutiny always leads to hate and fear. God is good, but mutiny always leads to something bad. God is light. Mutiny always leads to darkness. God is revealing himself always. Mutiny causes us to want to hide, to isolate, to be fearful of being known. God wants to draw near to his people, and he wants his people to draw near to him. But it's only possible if you know the king of kings and the prince of peace. Same guy, it's Jesus. It's only possible if you know him. (laughs) You know, God made us in his image, right? We all know that. And that's why we want to draw close to our family. I love it. I'm a dad and a grandfather, and I love it when our kids and our grandkids draw near to us. And I, want, I love drawing near to them. Just Friday night, we had uh, David and Lauren's two little girls, Hazel and Iris, come and spend the night with us. And we had a blast playing together, having meals together and snacks and candy and you know, lollipops and everything, you know, every question is, yes, of course, honey, you can have whatever you want. You're at grandma's house. Are you kidding me? 
Why? Because we want to draw close to them, and we want them to draw close to us. And periodically, it's amazing when little Iris, two years old, just comes, just at random, just comes and gives you a hug on your leg and then goes off to play. I love drawing near to our kids and having them draw near to us. Why? Because I'm made in the image of God. I only have that desire because that's his desire. That's his desire for you. It's for you to draw near to him and him to draw near to you to experience that kind of intimacy and love and affection and joy and peace that comes when we experience that. So let's talk about who Jesus is. If you're following along in your outline, point number one is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince. He is the Prince. He's not just a Prince. He's the Prince. He's the prince, he, which means he's also king. He is, just as he's, he was promised he would be, he'll one day return as king of kings. He is ruler. He is in charge of his government. Let's read what Matthew has to say about this in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just pause there for a second. I love what, uh, what we know about Bethlehem. So some of you just traveled to Israel with us. You know what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem, little little village about the size of two football fields in the time of Jesus. Very small town. When we were singing the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, it was a little town. Everybody knew one another in Bethlehem. The name means house of, bre of bread. Beth means house. Lehem means bread. I just love it that the bread of life is born in the house of bread. Don't you think that's kind of cool? Well, maybe it's just me then. I don't know. It's just me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod the king, Herod's a, Herod's a king, but he's just a little king. Herod didn't get his own star, right? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah, and he understood the meaning of the term Messiah. We'll talk about that in a second. Where is the Messiah to be born? They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a what? A ruler he is ruler he's in charge he is king there is no second there is no there's no one even close to having the authority of the king of kings and lord of lords he sits at the right hand of god on the throne of heaven and all of heaven bows down before him to worship him i don't know about you but i think we ought to just do what they do I think we ought to do what happens in heaven. If all of the angels worship him, I should worship him. He is king. King of kings. He goes on to say, he is ruler. Who will shepherd my people Israel? That means he's going to take care of us. Because we're also his family. Now, two things. You may want to write this down. There is a government and there is a family. It's all essentially the same, but there's two very distinct 
elements, two distinct characteristics of the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom and it's a family. We have a king and a ruler. We have a son and a shepherd. And he is Jesus. And he's in charge of his kingdom and he takes care of his people, his family. He's the son and he gets all the inheritance. And because we are also adopted as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have also been adopted by God as a son or as a daughter. Therefore, you also are in line to inherit everything Jesus inherits. I'm not making this up. You can read it right in God's word. This is true. It's a kingdom. We need to remember that it's a kingdom. And when the king is born, magi from nine months distance, they traveled nine months. They're small kings in their own right. They have some ruler over their domain. They come to worship him, bringing him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then when Herod found out that the Messiah had been born, he wanted to take him out because he understood that he will eventually be much more powerful because he understands what the word Messiah means. Jesus is the ruler of his government. I love it about I love that about Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus is king and he is ruler. I love it that in the kingdom of God, we don't need an election every four years. That Jesus is king now and forever. We don't need a two-party system. We don't need opinion polls telling us who is leading. We don't, he is the creator, the sustainer, the alpha and omega. He is the author and finisher, the overcomer, the truth, the life, the way. He is the giver of life. He is the one who is preparing a place for us to be with him forever. He is king of kings and lord of lords. That's who he is. All of heaven bows down before him. My question for you is, is he your prince? Is he your king? Because, friends, if you're needing peace, you can't have peace unless he's first your prince. He's prince of peace, but you can't have peace unless you have the prince ruling your life. I love what Matthew uh, records here in his gospel as Jesus was gathering, gathered his disciples at the place of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was known as the place that is the gates of hell. There was a temple there right next to the gates of hell. It's at the base of Mount Hermon. A spring came out of the ground right there and became part of the headwaters of the Jordan River. But that was supposed to be the entrance to the underworld. There was a temple there to the god Pan. It's a Greek god who was a, a licentious god. He was known for all kinds of worldly behavior. If you see a picture of Pan, he'll have the body of a goat and the torso of a man and the head of a goat. He's always chasing after Aphrodite. That's the kind of god he was. This is known as the gates of hell here at the base of Mount Hermon at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes his disciples to that place. And he asks the question in Matthew 16. You can read it. 
He asked the question, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Ezekiel, some say you're some prophet. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, as he often did, and said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice that Peter is agreeing with the prophecy that Isaiah gave us in Isaiah 9. When he says he is the Christ, he is really saying he is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek version of the word Messiah in Hebrew. In, in Greek, it's Christos. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach. It's the same word. What it means is you're the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been praying for, the anointed one of God who will rule and reign the, over the kingdom of God. You are ruler. That's who you are. You're the anointed one. And you're the son of God. You have a kingdom and you have a family. See what Peter's saying? And when Jesus says to him, you know, Simon Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This is truth coming from heaven to you. God has revealed this to you. And on you, Peter, on you and your confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell. And he points right at the gates of hell at where the temple pan is located there in Caesarea Philippi, he said, and those gates will not prevail against my kingdom and my family, the church. And he said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, if he has the keys, the only person who could give you the keys is the king, isn't it? He gives him the keys of the kingdom and he says to him, I'm going to build my church on you. And from that day forward, Peter is known as a rabbi who will be the successor to Jesus after Jesus is resurrected and ascends into heaven. Friends, we need to understand that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say something real quickly to help us understand how significant this is. <clears throat> in our world, in the world we've all grown up in, we've all grown up in what we call a democracy. It's really a republic, but we call it a democracy, and we like the fact that we're living in a democracy. In fact, we're pretty proud of the fact that we're living in a democracy. We think everybody in the world should have a democracy, don't we? And we think kingdoms are bad. Well, bad kingdoms are bad, but they're only bad if they have a bad king. Jesus is not a bad king. You agree with that? Jesus is king of his kingdom. We need to understand that we are a part of a kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure democracy works all that well most of the time. I mean, it's a good deal for just a human system. Not, I'm not saying we ought to demolish or abolish democracy, but if you compare the kingdom of God to democracy, I'm going to take the kingdom of God every time. Because God is king, and in his kingdom, his, what he says goes. We need to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, what all the prophets have said about him, and what Peter is saying when he says, you're the king, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you are the king of kings, and in your kingdom, you rule and reign over everything, even over all the power of the enemy. This is so much more significant than what we realize. We're so proud of being individuals, and we can sort of be king of our own little domain, and and it trips us up. It messes us up. It messes up our thinking. When we, we need to understand how significant it is that we're a part of the kingdom of God.
Secondly, Jesus is Prince of Peace. Jesus is Prince of Peace. He's, he's, you know, as I said before, you won't have peace unless he's your prince. Peace is the opposite of chaos. And in the beginning, as we've said earlier, when the world was chaotic, before the very first three verses of Genesis, it says, God was with us. He spoke, which is the word of God, which is Jesus, and the presence of God, the spirit of God. So the God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are present. And it says, and there was darkness. Darkness covered the face of the deep. There was no light. There was no life. It was total chaos. The original language says there was there was destruction, there was chaos, there was a void, there was a wasteland. Why? Why is it dark and why is it a wasteland and why is there no life? It's because Satan has created the chaos. He's the prince of darkness, isn't he? So when God speaks, when Jesus speaks into the darkness, when he speaks into what needs life, he puts darkness on notice and sticks it in a box. He says, from now on, there will be light on earth, and it will be called day, and the day will be day, and the night will be night. You see what he's saying? I'm going to put a limit on you, darkness. There can't be an unlimited amount of darkness anymore. He speaks life. Creation begins to thrive and flourish, and everything happens according to the will of God. It's beautiful, he says. Everything is beautiful because God's speaking into it. The Prince of Peace is speaking into chaos and destruction. And friends, that's what he wants to do in your life. If you're experiencing chaos and destruction and difficulty and anxiety, you need the Prince to be your Prince and you need to speak him, you need him to speak his peace into your situation. You agree with that? It's, it's just the way it is. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. There's a, a song that uh, was written many, many years ago, and if you've been around church at all, or even in more modern times, there's a, it's been, this song has been redone many, many times, and the title of the song is It Is Well. Anybody know that song? Anybody ever heard It Is Well? We ever sang that in church? It was written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, who was a wealthy attorney in Chicago, and he was uh, also an elder in his Presbyterian church in Chicago, and he was a good friend of Dwight L. Moody, who was a famous preacher, traveled all over the world. In the spring of 1871, Horatio Spafford, being a wealthy attorney, decided to take some of his wealth and invest it in real estate. Now, just prior to this happening, he and his wife lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. So they'd already been visited by enough grief for a lifetime. He invested all of his fortune in real estate in the spring of 1871. Anybody know what happened in the October of 1871? The Chicago fire happened in 1871. Completely wiped out all the holdings of Horatio Spafford. So trying to recover from that, trying to figure out how to make ends meet and put life back together after losing their son and now losing all their real estate holdings. A couple of years later, he told his wife and four little daughters, so let's just take some time away. Let's take a holiday and go to Europe. Their friend Dwight L. Moody was traveling in Europe, was going to be preaching in England 
and they supported him and were close friends. So they just said, uh, he said to his wife, why don't you get on the ship, take our daughters and go on and go to England and I've got some business dealings, I've got to wrap up and then I'll join you as soon as I can get there. And so they did, they left. On the way, the steamship they were traveling on ran into an iron vessel and had a tragic shipwreck. 226 people lost their lives. Four of whom were the daughters of Horatio Spafford. His wife was miraculously saved because a plank from the ship came up from the water and helped her survive. When she got to the shore in England, she sent back a telegram to her husband and said, saved alone. So he immediately left to try to get to her as quickly as possible. And he asked to be notified when they passed over the place where the ship had gone down. And as, his, as the ship went down where his little 11-year-old Annie, 9-year-old Maggie, 5-year-old Bessie, and 2-year-old Tanetta had all drowned in the chaos of that tragic shipwreck, Horatio Spafford penned these words, because, because he knows the Prince of Peace, because Jesus is his King, and he's the author and perfecter of peace. So as he traveled over that spot, he wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, the Messiah, the King, hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The last verse says, The Lord and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Neil Armstrong, most of you know who he is, the first man to set foot on the moon. Lots of journeys, lots of travels. Was asked one time, what was the most difficult journey? They thought, well, he would say, it's one of the trips to the moon. 
He said, he said, you know, the diff most difficult journey for me was the journey that moved what I knew in my head about God, the 18-inch trip to my heart. He knew about God. He knew about the Savior. He knew about the Prince of Peace. But he didn't experience, he hadn't experienced him yet. He wasn't yet able to sing this song. Now sing it with me. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, sing that have you experienced it you can say it you can know about it my question is is it real for you is the Christ the Messiah your king is he your prince of peace Has that knowledge moved from here to here? Would you bow with me? Father, thank you that, that what you've done for us is so amazing and powerful that we can't hardly comprehend it. I pray today that for every single person in this room, the knowledge about Jesus, the knowledge about who you are, will become experience, will become personal. That this Prince of Peace will be a personal Savior and Lord and King. So right now, Father, for every person in the room, my, my prayer is that that we are all praying this prayer. Father, I want to know you fully, not just know about you. I want to know you fully. I want to experience you as my king, as my prince of peace, as my savior, as my rescuer, as my God. And whatever my lot, whatever my circumstance, whatever my situation, I'll be able to look at you and know that you are Lord of all. And you may not take me out of it, but you'll get me through it. Thank you that you always answer that prayer, Father. That this whole thing's been your idea from the beginning. 
for us to know you as Prince of Peace, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. So, Father, for those who are not yet adopted, adopt them now, I pray in Jesus' name, as sons and as daughters, to know you now and forevermore. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one more song. As we do every week, no matter whether you're a part of Christ Church or not, you don't have to be a member here. I'd love for you to, to invite you to come and pray. There'll be someone here to pray with you. You can come and pray for someone else, for that matter. But this is a time for us to receive what God has for us and to draw close to God as He draws close to us, to bring whatever our need is so He can meet those needs. So I invite you to come and pray during this last worship song before we leave today.